There was an article this week uh, on the Art of Manliness blog. I don't know if any of you are familiar with this blog, but it was about Ernest Hemingway. Uh, and it's probably not surprising, given the name of the blog, that they would have an article about a guy about Ernest Hemingway, because Hemingway was known as sort of a, a, a man's man. And blogs like the Art of Manliness like to hold up guys like Hemingway, guys like Theodore Roosevelt, uh, as, hey, here's somebody who lived life to the fullest and got the most out of their lives. And if you want to live life to the fullest and get the most out of your life, then, then you should model your life on certain aspects of their lives. And these things are usually, they're okay. You have to take them a little bit of a, a grain of salt. Um, but here's, what, here's how the art of manliness described Ernest Hemingway. Hemingway had a zeal for making the most of life, not only in his professional vocation, but in his leisure time as well. Papa, which was his nickname, always wanted to be where the action was, not just as a spectator, but as a participant. He wanted to experience what the world had to offer firsthand with all five senses. In this, he certainly succeeded, becoming not only a war correspondent and writer of classic novels, but a hunter, fisherman, sailor, amateur boxer, and bullfighter, and a world traveler. Few others in modern history have seen, heard, smelled, tasted, and touched so much. And, you know, guys read that and you read about Hemingway and you're like, yeah, I want to be, I want to be that guy. I want to be the original world's most interesting man. Like this is, this is the life that I would want to lead. But then you dig a little deeper uh, into Hemingway's life and you see that there were multiple marriages uh, that he often perhaps presented himself perhaps more favorably than he might should have. Uh, that there was a lifelong addiction to alcohol in 1937. He was told that he had liver disease and he needed to quit drinking. And 20 years later, he was still drinking. And three or four years after that, he committed suicide. And I, I don't sell this to, to bash Hemingway or to, to bash the art of manliness. I like that blog. But to ask the question that we're going to think about this morning, who is the blessed man? Who is the blessed man? Was, was Hemingway a blessed man? Would, would that be the way I would want, if I could map out the chart of my life, uh, or the map of my life, would, would that be how I would want my life to play out? You know, we, we tend to look at people and we, we idolize their lives and we wish we had lives like them if I could just play golf like Tiger Woods. Or if I could just be funny like Robin Williams or surround myself with women like Hugh Hefner or have a great empire like Martha Stewart's. And yet we find out, don't we, eventually that these lives aren't as blessed as we thought maybe they were. And that the people who have been leading them aren't as happy as we thought they were. In many cases, they aren't happy at all. Um, but maybe you haven't set your sights on living like a celebrity. And, and maybe these examples are a little bit extreme for you. But we're all looking for happiness, aren't we? We're all, we're all looking for it somewhere. We're, we're looking for ways where we can be the blessed man or the, the blessed woman, even if we're not religious and we would never use the word blessed. We're, we're trying to find happiness and meaning and significance in life. For some of us, through, we try to find it through breaking the rules, like the younger son in the story of the, the prodigal sons, and we're just going to do what we want to do. Or maybe we try to find blessing through keeping the rules, like the older son in the story of the prodigal son and we say God I've been a good kid and you need to make sure my life goes well because I've been a good kid 
Or maybe we're trying to find life by making our own rules. I'm going to define my own life, my own gender, my own sexuality. I'm just going to make it up as I go. I've got to be me. I'm going to chart my own path. And so we're left to kind of ask the question, well, okay, is there a path then that actually leads to blessing? Is there a path that I can take and at the end of my days I I can... look back and say whether those days are many or whether those days have been few that I was a a blessed man or a blessed woman and have led a good and a fruitful life. And text this morning tells us that there is. And we're going to think about it today. So let's read uh, Psalm 1. This is God's word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, help us as we give our attention uh, to your word this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be present and that you would work uh, through these words that I speak, but even above and beyond them, uh, that we might know where blessing lies and that we might truly pursue it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's, I mean, it's simple imagery, right? Here in this psalm, there, there are two paths that are placed before us, a path that we need to avoid and a path that we're encouraged to pursue. And the psalm starts out by telling us about a path that we need to avoid. Specifically, verse 1 tells us, Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, this idea of counsel uh, draws our attention to the, to the realm of ideas and thoughts. It, it, it highlights our need for discernment because you don't have to literally be sitting across from someone to be receiving counsel from them. Um, and, and not many of us would, you know, not many of us would deliberately go find like Charles Manson. That's who we think of when we think of wicked. Like not many of us are going to seek him out and ask him for counsel about life. But there are many other ways that we are receiving perhaps counsel that is not so good. Uh, the word wicked is, is a strong word. It's easy for us to brush aside. We say, I'm not listening to any wicked people. But, but who are you listening to? Who's... Whose counsel are you receiving? You know, every day we're engaged in receiving counsel from friends, uh, from family members, from the songs we listen to, to the television shows we watch, uh, to the blogs and things we read online. And many of these people don't, they don't think that the path to blessing is found in the same place that the psalmist thinks blessing is found. They think blessing can be found in the world apart from the God who's the author of Scripture. And that doesn't mean, though, that we abandon our friends or plug our ears to conversations or run away from that, you know, secular devil music or, or, or whatever it is. There's, there's, there's good to be found and, and understood and enjoyed in all types of music and, and creation, that sort of things. And we, we, we've talked about that before. But we do have to be discerning. We have to be discerning. Now, there's a difference between having a thoughtful conversation with someone about God and simply kind of not thinking through it at, at all. 
uh, and walk, beginning to walk in their counsel. Uh, there's a difference between enjoying a television show or a movie and thinking critically about the message that they're giving us and not thinking through it at all and just kind of uncritically soaking it in and beginning to walk in its counsel. And so the encouragement here is to examine the counsel that we're receiving from the world around us. Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Secondly, the psalmist tells us not to stand in the way of sinners, which focuses more on our behavior and reminds us that no matter how pleasurable a certain activity may look to us, that ultimately there are certain things that do lead on the path to destruction. And then the psalmist tells us not to sit in the seat of scoffers. And as you look at these, there seems to be this progression from walking along to standing still and paying it a little more attention and then to sitting. From moving to not moving to becoming set in our ways and actually hardened against God. And so we're told to avoid the path of the wicked and sinners and scoffers. But I think that's easy for us to kind of like, okay, whatever. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Uh, those, those words feel so loaded to us. They're like these, these just churchy words. You're like, yeah, that bad stuff. Don't do bad stuff. Thanks. I'm glad I came to church today. That's helpful. But it's easy to feel, I think, like we're avoiding the path of the wicked when perhaps we're sitting right in the middle of it. Kind of like when, you know, there's something that your, your parents have always done. And you're like, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to talk like that. And then 40 years later, you're like, oh, my goodness, I I am doing that. And I am thinking like that. And I am saying those exactly same things, this exact same things. I'm never going to get addicted to cigarettes like they did because I always hated that habit. But then we find ourselves just addicted to something else. We just we just replaced it. And we're the same people walking in the same path. So how is it then that we find ourselves walking on the wrong path without really realizing it. I think sometimes when we talk about sin, we think about sin, we think too much just about behavior. So let me give you a a different definition of sin. This is from uh, Tim Keller's book, Reason for God. He defines sin this way. Sin is seeking to become oneself to get an identity apart from God. Sin is not just the doing of bad things, but the making of good things and the ultimate things. It is seeking to establish a sense of self by making something else more central to your significance, purpose, and happiness than your relationship with God. Uh, And then he he talks about Ernest Becker in his book, The Denial of Death. He says he begins by noting that a child's need for self-worth is the condition of his life, so much so that every person is desperately seeking what Becker calls cosmic significance. Our need for worth is so powerful that whatever we base our identity and value on, we essentially deify. We will look to it with all the passion and intensity of worship and devotion, even if we think of ourselves as highly irreligious. How do we we wind up on the wrong path and not realize we're on the wrong path? It's when we try to establish this identity for ourselves that has no reference to God and who he is in our relationship with him. I am a great musician. I am a great athlete. I am a great doctor. I am a great mom. I am a successful, put-together person. I'm funny. I'm unique. I'm different. I I will find pleasure where I want to find pleasure. I'll find pleasure in coloring inside the lines and being a good citizen. And all of these lives, many of these are are good things, but, but all these lives, it's very easy for us to define ourselves without any reference to God. 
and to live our lives without any reference to God. And the psalmist tells us if we're doing that, then we are kind of by default on the wrong path. And so the psalmist warns us that those who live these lives apart from God, no matter how wonderful they may seem in the long in the short term, in the long term will lead to our destruction, that eventually things are going to run off the rails if we continue to ignore God in our life. Uh, 1927, there was a man named Eben Myers, and Eben Myers fell and hurt his arm and went to the doctor, but he went to the wrong doctor because this doctor prescribed him Radithor. Now, Radithor was not prescribed by a lot of doctors. This guy was kind of a quack, but Radithor was basically radium dissolved in water, which is radioactive. And Radithor was supposed to help aches and pains and have all these wonderful side benefits as well. And so Evan Myers drank Radithor every day for three years. And he literally rotted from the inside out. His teeth fell out. His jaw began to crumble. He had holes in his skull and developed holes in his brain. And it's said that even as this was starting to happen, he kept drinking Radithor because he thought, well, this is going to make it better. He hadn't connected the dots yet. When he died, they put him in a lead-lined coffin because he was so radioactive. 33 years later, a scientist from MIT dug him up and measured how radioactive it was. And I don't know all those numbers, but it was way more radioactive than he thought he was going to be. So they put him back in the lead coffin and stuck him back in the ground. You can look this up if you don't believe me. Um, And I could understand why you might not. Um, Walking in in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers, trying to build an identity for ourselves apart from God is the spiritual equivalent of of drinking Radithor. Like it may seem like it's okay at first, but there is a a long-term poisoning going on and there will be consequences. You know, there was a time when when people thought smoking wasn't bad for you. We've got an old Abbott and Costello routine. He's on first, which is just amazing. Our family loves it. But there's commercials in that, right, where, where doctors are advertising certain brands of cigarettes, all right, and suggesting that you smoke camels for all their... Benefits, And we figured out that was not okay. And we figured out Radithor, that's probably not okay. And, you know, what are they going to look back on and say about energy drinks one day? Like, I don't know, like 20 years from now, that, that probably, it probably wasn't okay. And the point is that there are these things that seem like they're okay, and everybody's doing this, and everybody's consuming this, and everybody's thinking this way, and everybody's living life in this way, but in the end it leads to destruction. And this is what the the psalmist is talking about. There's a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to destruction. And so the question for us this morning is just kind of ask, well, am I on that path? And then I ask, well, why am I on this path? Like if, if the scripture tells me this is where this is actually leading, then why do I continue to ignore that and continue to go down this path? And so there's this path that leads to destruction. But there's also this path that leads to blessing. Verse 2 tells us that the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And the phrase here, the law of the Lord, is, is, can be a way of referring simply to the instruction of God or to the story of the Scriptures. And so it tells us if you live your life by the story of the Bible, you will be like a tree planted by streams of living water that yields its fruit in season, whatever you do will prosper. 
these two very different pictures. Now, I need to say this. This probably has been used as a, a proof text for the prosperity gospel. You know, if you, you follow Jesus, you're always going to prosper and you'll have a, a big jet and a nice house. And if you don't, you're just not following Jesus, right? Um, that misses kind of the point here. It misses the type of literature. This is Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. And it paints an idealized version of what life looks like if we follow God. It doesn't mean that we won't suffer. Go read the rest of the Psalms. It doesn't mean that the wicked never prosper. Go and read Psalm 73. It doesn't mean we won't wrestle with God when tragedy hits and we don't understand why things are happening the way they are. But it does remind us that that blessing does accompany obedience. And even if that blessing isn't always physical, there will be spiritual blessings. There will be eternal prosperity for those who trust in Jesus Christ. If we orient our lives to this story, the psalmist is telling us, we will lead a blessed life. We will bear fruit for God, whether we're rich or poor or or sick or healthy, whether we're a winner or a loser in the eyes of the world. There will be a harvest of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. There will be a life well lived. Uh, There were two missionaries who were living in China, uh, and this was after World War II, and China has gone communist, and they're the last two missionaries with a China Inland Mission, and they haven't gotten out yet. And they basically lived in a one-room apartment with one stool and a stove that they had to gather animal waste from the streets for to use as fuel for the stove. And these two missionaries lived there with their daughter for two years. And as you can imagine, it was, it was incredibly difficult. But when they got out, they wrote a book with this title, Green Leaf in Drought Time. Green Leaf in Drought Time, which is the picture of this tree planted by streams of living water because they lived their life by the story of the scripture and so they saw fruit produced even in the midst of all this difficulty in their life. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in the, in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, I have a little Christmas in July this morning, uh, is where Jimmy Stewart comes back and, and he's come back from his dream where he's tried to kill himself and he goes in the house and you know the, the what do you call a little knob on the stair rail? You know what I'm talking about? I don't know what you call those things. We'll just call them a knob. So there's this little knob thing there, and and Jimmy Stewart grabs it and he kisses it. And it's a wonderful scene because earlier in the movie he had he had come down the stairs and he had grabbed that thing and it had come off in his hand. And it was just the epitome to him of everything that was wrong with his life. I live in this crummy little house and we never get to go anywhere. We were always stuck here taking care of all these people in Bedford Falls. And my, and my house is falling apart and I just, I just hate my life. And then he comes back from this dream and he's, he's got this second chance and he grabs this thing and it's, he, he's realized oh, my, my life isn't so bad after all. My life actually mattered and it mattered to my wife and it mattered to my children and it mattered to all of these people that we've been loaning money to all these years even though he couldn't see it. His life had mattered to the whole town. He had borne fruit. He had lived a a fruitful, prosperous life, even though he couldn't really see it. If you and I live our lives by the story of the Bible, you you may not prosper in the way that, you know, the American dream says you're going to prosper. You, You will face difficulty, but your life will matter. 
And your life will be blessed. And your life will produce fruit. Fruit in your own life. Fruit in the life of the people around you. Fruit that impacts people in the community around you. You may not see it all the time. You will probably get frustrated when things aren't going well and when the house is falling apart. And you may want to throw that stairway knob through the window and and run off to another town and find a new spouse and new kids and a new job and start over trying to find blessing. But don't do it. Don't do it. Stay on the path where Jesus says to stay. And one day you'll, you'll see it. You'll see it. The secret to this blessed life we're told is to delight ourselves in the law of the Lord. And we're called to meditate on this law of the Lord day and night. We've all got things we meditate on, right? Like, we've all got things we think about a lot. Um, And the things we meditate on shape us. You know, you you meditate on who your team is recruiting and you become a fan. You meditate on how you've been wronged all the time and you become bitter. You meditate on what needs to be done and you become anxious and worried and distracted. You meditate on how you can find some temporary relief and you become addicted to something. The things we meditate on shape us. And so we're called here to, to meditate on this word and be shaped by it. Uh, Eugene Peterson says that the word here for meditate is actually the same word Isaiah uses in chapter 31 of Isaiah to, to describe the sound that a lion makes over its prey. You know, I, we, we hear meditate and we think yeah, burning candles in like a dark room in a monastery or, 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 or something like that, a quiet sanctuary. But the Hebrew word meditate communicates what a dog would do with a bone, like chewing on it and, and playing with it and enjoying it and, and savoring it. Uh, this meditation is more than trying to read through the Bible in a year so I can check that off and say, okay, I, f- I, f- I finally did that. I'm, I'm in the in Bible reading club now. It's, it's more than uh, studying the Bible and looking up words to, to see what they mean. This is leaning back in your chair and closing your eyes and prayerfully pondering the things that you're reading in Scripture. Repeating phrases over again in your mind, walking away from your desk and carrying those words with you so that they influence all of your day. Uh, One author said, meditation is bringing the truth of God into contact with the center of your being until the triune God and all his word become real to you so that you seek him. It is thinking a truth in and thinking a truth out until the ideas become big and sweet, moving and affecting until the reality of God is sensed upon your heart. Um, I like to suggest for help with doing that, doing this, Tim Keller's got like a short two-page paper called Meditating on Scripture. I'd be glad to send you the link to that uh, if you're interested. I also started reading a little book called Seeking God's Face. And it's basically got a psalm and then a short passage of Scripture that encourages you to go back and read the Scripture again. And then it's got some prayers you can pray through. Um, Because sometimes that's what we need. Sometimes we don't need just this massive Bible reading time. Sometimes we just need a a portion of Scripture. I mean, to think about that and pray through that and meditate on that. What if you went home today and spent 15 minutes thinking about Psalm 1? I know you got the time. I know you're busy, but you have 15 minutes. To to go home and just think about Psalm 1 and pray through Psalm 1. 
you'd be meditating and you'd be putting your roots down uh, into the living water. When we were in um, Page, Arizona on our vacation, we thought about camping at the national park there, but it was crazy expensive for camping. And so we kind of hesitated and we didn't do it and we weren't able to get in there. And so we wound up camping basically in this gravel parking lot in Page, Arizona with signs that said, if you stay here longer than 30 days, we will do a background check on you. Okay, so this is, this is, this is where we were camping. And we decided we're going to stay here two days instead of three. Um, and uh, those two days we were there, it was 105 degrees. And I know everybody says well, it's dry heat. I wish you would quit saying that. It doesn't matter. I'll take 95 in humidity any day. because like my whole body was dried out. Um, anyway... We, we saw some, some cool things in Page. Don't get me wrong, but we were sapped. We were, we were drained. Why? Because of where we set up camp. We weren't by the Colorado River where we could have gone and played in the river and cool off. We were in a gravel parking lot with people doing background checks, okay? It was not refreshing, okay? You, it, it, it matters where you put down roots. It, it matters what you meditate on, where you try to draw your life from. Where are you doing that? Where, where are you putting down roots? Where are you trying to, to draw life? Several years ago, there was a, um, there was a small startup company, and, and we'll call the, the guy who worked for this company David. And he went to meet with the CEO of the company, uh, and we'll call the CEO of this company Goliath. And David had a great idea for a company. He'd actually already started it. It was a tech company, but the dot-com bubble had just burst, and so there weren't a lot of investors around, and he needed some money now, and so, you know, he humbled himself, went hat in hand to meet with the Goliath of his industry. And David said to him, look, man, we'll, we'll be your online division. You handle all the retail. Uh, we'll give you 49% of our company, and we'll operate under your name. And the CEO kind of laughed at him, and he said, how many customers do you have? And David said, we've got 300,000 customers. He's pretty proud of this. And the CEO of Goliath said, said we have almost 8,000 stores around the world. And this dot-com bubble just burst. And all this digital world you're pushing is never going to take off. And you're already finished, and you don't even know it. And the CEO of Goliath walked out of the room. Let me backtrack a little bit. David, at one point, had told a friend that he wanted to be the Amazon of something. And so he knew that meant he needed a product that was in high demand. He knew he needed an online presence. And he knew that he needed to be able to deliver this product by mail. And so he spent all this time trying to figure out what this product was going to be. And one day, he and his friend were returning a video, a VHS tape video, for those of you who remember such things. And his friend says, why don't we rent these videos online and mail them to people? And David said, well, that, those aren't going to hold up in the mail. He said, well, what about, there's this new thing called DVDs. Uh, maybe we can mail those. And so he went back to his office, and he put a CD in an envelope, and he mailed it to his home address, and it didn't break. And so they started this company called Kibble, and they were renting DVDs online, and there would only been DVD players in America for a year when he did this. Well... There's not a lot of DVD players yet. They were still kind of expensive. So Kibble limps along for a while. They go, finally he's like, all right, we got to go see Goliath. So he goes into the, the office of Goliath and he gets turned down. But eventually the market 
returned, as you know, we have a lot of DVDs now and other things, uh, and two years later this company went public's, public as Netflix. The public is Netflix, and eventually they started streaming videos, not just doing DVDs. And then uh, they started creating their own content, and every time people say, y'all are kind of crazy, but they went ahead and did it anyway. Do you know who Goliath was? Blockbuster, blockbuster Video. Goliath was a Blockbuster Video. Uh, about the time that Netflix started taking off, Blockbuster posted their first loss ever of $1.6 billion. And they tried at this point to copy Netflix. I don't know if you guys remember this when Blockbuster tried to do DVDs in the mail. And they failed. And in 2013, Blockbuster closed their last store. The CEO of Blockbuster was convinced that this is the right path. And this is the way I have found success all of these years. I have been living by the story and it hasn't failed me. This is the path to blessing. And he was completely wrong. He was completely wrong. Uh, you may have convinced yourself that the path you're on, that this is the path to blessing. I, I know I'm, I'm probably not doing things quite right. I'm maybe walking in the counsel of the wicked a little bit and going my own way and doing my own thing and building my, this identity and this name for myself. But what the psalmist is telling us is, like Blockbuster, those stories never end well. They never end well. But the story that does end well is the story of Scripture, the story about Jesus, the story about the son of David. So I invite you to consider the story. But there's one other thing. If you're paying attention to the story of the Scripture... You know, I, I, you and I began to realize how much we fall short of this story. And we began to realize how much, though we may be trying to walk the path, we, we kind of wander off the path. And we began to realize how much we're not like the blessed man as we would like to be the blessed man, even though we, we are trying really hard to be that man. Uh, years ago, there was a man named Joseph Flax who visited Palestine, and he was teaching a group of Jewish people on Psalm 1. And he, he got finished reading it and he said, well, who is this blessed man of whom the psalmist speaks who never walked in the counsel of the wicked or stood in the way of sinners or, or, or sat in the seat of scoffers? He was an absolutely sinless man. Who is this man? And one of the guys in the audience said, well, was, or, or he asked, was he our father Abraham? And one of the guys in the audience said, no, it couldn't have been Abraham. He denied his wife and told lies about her. He said, well, maybe it was Moses. And they said, no, it wasn't. It could have been Moses. He lost his temper and he, he killed a man, among other things. He said, well, maybe it was David. No, it, it couldn't have been David. And then finally, someone stood up and he was a Jewish man. He stood up and said, guys, I've, I've got this little book here and it's called the, the New Testament. And I've been reading it. And if I could believe this book, if I could be sure that it was true, I would say that the man of Psalm 1 is Jesus of Nazareth. That Jesus is the blessed man. That Jesus walked perfectly the path of righteousness. That Jesus perfectly delighted himself in the law of the Lord. And yet he suffered. Incredibly. Is that prosperity that the psalm seems to promise? Well, if you know the whole story, it is. Because not only did he suffer and die, he also rose from the dead. 
And God His Father prospered His work so that by the work of Jesus Christ, Jesus purchased the salvation of a band of brothers and sisters who even today in Spartanburg, South Carolina, 2,000 years later, gather to remember His death and celebrate His resurrection and sing His praises. I would say that this blessed man has prospered. My encouragement to you this morning would, would to be find, I can't talk, would be to find your hope and your trust in this blessed man. Investigate the story of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, would you, would you help us to, to find life on the right path? And would you help us when we fail to see that there, who's, there's one who has walked this path before us and that his name is Jesus and that our real hope for blessing is found in, in him and in him alone. Impress this upon our hearts. We pray it in his name. Amen.